0: Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. This morning, we're going to kick off a new series entitled Spiritual Resolutions. And maybe immediately you're thinking in your mind, ah, oh, I don't do resolutions. You're like, that is my resolution that I don't do resolutions. And maybe you say I don't do goal setting, and I don't make promises to myself, and yet here we are in a series entitled "Spiritual Resolutions," and I think this is an important series for so many reasons, but uh, none being greater than what I believe God has for us this morning. And so, if you have a copy of God's Word, would you go to Luke chapter number 19? And if you don't, I'm going to encourage you to download an app, and I'll put an advertisement for on the screen, and you can put it on your tablet, on your smartphone. But if you don't have the Bible app, I'm going to encourage you to get this app. The reason being is because not only can you read through the Bible in any translation that's on the app, it's uh, also different languages. The other cool thing is I do devotional plans, and it's a way where you can be in a devotional plan, but somebody in your life group or in your ministry team, They can also do the same plan as you, and you can see what each other highlights, what each other reads, whether they read or they didn't read, so it's built-in accountability. It's a great way to share it on your socials uh, as well, and it's a great app. So if you do not have the Bible app, I'm going to encourage you to get it, and I'm going to encourage you to always have the Bible readily available. Every year, I make it a goal to read through the Bible cover to cover, and what I've started doing is every year, I read it in a different translation. I'm typically an NKJV guy, uh, but this year I'm going through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and the NIV, and it's amazing how just in a different translation, you see things you didn't see before, and I was reading in Genesis chapter number uh, four, and where God is speaking to Cain, and I was blown away by some of the truth that I had never seen, but just the changing of the language in the, in the different translation, it unlocked things for me. So I'm going to encourage you to get this app. And if you don't have this one, then have the Bible app on your phone. It's so important that we have God's word and hide it in our hearts and have it with us. And so with Luke chapter number 19 open, I want to dive into this passage together. I want to spend some time in it because it's going to set us up for the next several weeks and the year to come. Notice if you would, verse number 11, the word of God says this. Now, as he, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. This is in reference, even though it's a parable, it's in reference to Jesus leaving, like we see in Acts chapter number one, where the Son of God ascends and is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. And then he's going to one day come back. One day we are gonna see the Lord, as He splits the skies and is going to call us back to heaven. This is in reference to that. Let's continue reading in verse number 13. It says, So He called ten of His servants, and He delivered to them ten minus. And He said to them, Do business till I come. But His citizens hated Him and sent a delegation after Him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when He returned, having received the kingdom... He then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Hold on just for a second. When we back up verse number 13, I want you to see something. He gave every person the exact same amount. Everybody got the same. There were 10 servants. They each got one minor. And that's important. God has given each one of you a gift. Maybe the person next to you is using their gift and you see it like you see Angel playing using his gift, Edward using his gift, Yumi using a gift, Brenda using their gift. You may see somebody serving with their gift, but God has given us all a gift. And maybe your gift is untapped, it's undeveloped, maybe you haven't used it, or maybe you don't know that you have a gift, but God has given us all a gift. Next, we see in this passage, in this verse 16, he says, Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned ten times. This is very important. And I'm going slow because I kind of want to teach through it. In that verse, whose mina did he say it was? Yours. There's a powerful truth there. That everything God gives me is still not mine. And so often we feel like, well, God gave it to me, so it's mine. No, it's not. The Bible says this the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything is God's. So, me giving it back to him, it's not really me giving it back to him. It's me saying, hey, thanks for letting me borrow this. So, this servant knew whose it was. What a powerful image that you and I need to have. That we look at our life and say, hey, it's not mine, this isn't mine it's all God's. It's easy to give something back that's not yours. It's, it's easy. It's, it, it, I borrowed a car from Turo. It's, it's not my car. All last week, I drove it. All last week, I traveled in it. My kids ate in it. We, we were there, but at the end of the week, I had to give the car back. It wasn't mine. It wasn't like, no, I'm not giving it back. No, it wasn't my car. You go to rent a car, you give it back. Budget hurts. They want their car back. And yet you and I, God gives us something. We're like, I don't know if I want to give this back. God's like, what? I gave it to you. This servant had it. He had the right mentality. But then he says he, he, he was given one mina and he earned 10 more. And then verse number 17, and he said to him, well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over 10 cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you, because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting that I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, that my coming, I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten minas. For they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. For I say to you, that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, and slay them before me. Here's the teaching, but the principle is about faithfulness. The core attribute is not about the money. And maybe you're thinking, what's a mina? A mina represented 100 days wages. That's what it represented. So when this servant got one mina, he's talking about a lump sum of money that was equal to working 100 days. That's a lot of money. And he invested that money, his his interest on that money, it compounded and he made his master 10 times. So 10 times, this is a thousand days worth of finances. Pretty incredible what the first servant did. But the principle is this, that God is giving us things. And you and I have a responsibility to steward what God has entrusted to us and we have a brand new year that we get to steward what God has given us. As I took stock over 2022, I looked at what I had stewarded. I looked at the time I invested into my marriage, at the amount of dates. I looked at the time that I invested into my children, there were a couple goals that I had. I wanted to make sure I was spending quality time with them. I get to drive with them to school. So every morning on the way to school, one of the things that we do, we don't just listen to music. We don't just talk. We pray on the way to school. It was, it was a special time where it's just a, uh, less than 10 minutes, but it's 10 minutes where we're, we start the day in prayer. And we wanted to be intentional about that. I wanted to be intentional about my finances this year. I wanted to be intentional about my health this year. Uh, because one thing I realized, and maybe you, you may have also came to this conclusion as well, But I don't hope to have a good year. I don't hope to have better finances. I don't hope to have good health. I don't hope my marriage works. I don't rely on hope because hope is a horrible strategy. And if you are hoping to have a better 2023, it's not going to happen because hope is a horrible strategy. And maybe you're stepping back and you're like, but I don't like resolutions and I don't want to make them because as soon as I make them, I break them. I get it. I get it. I get the frustration. But there's something you and I all want in this room. And we all want the best life. We want the best life. The reality is we know we're not going to get the best life. I know that there's a book, Living Your Best Life, I know there's a song about living your best life. I know that we'll put it out there. Oh, just me living my best life. You know, I I get it. But you and I, we, we want the best life. We know that it's not quite possible. But one thing we do know is possible that we can have a better life. Your life may not be the best, but it can be better. Amen. Your finances can be better. Your health can be better. Your relationship with your significant other can be better. Your marriage can be better. Your relationship with God can be better. It may not be the best, but it can be better. And you and I need to understand that this morning, it may not be the best, but I can make it better. And if you go into 2023 and you don't realize that you can make things better, you are gonna be sorely disappointed instead of taking advantage of this moment, you're gonna be like, but I can't have the best one. So if I can't have the best, I'm not gonna work at it. No, no, don't have that spirit. Have the spirit that says, I wanna make things better. And I believe that's what we all want. We want life to be better. But how do we get to where life can be better? Because you've tried the resolution route. You've tried the goal route. You've tried the making promises to yourself. And here's what I want to let you know. The problem was not in your resolutions. The problem didn't lie in your goals. The problem didn't lie in the promises. Where the problem lied is not the amount of resolutions. It's the amount of time you spent on the resolution. Today's January 1st, there's a whole lot of people that woke up this morning with their brand new tennis shoes. These aren't just any tennis shoes. These tennis shoes, they were given to them or they bought them for one purpose, to go to the gym. And this morning, January 1st, they went to 24 hours for the first time in their brand new shoes. and They were so excited. It took a lot of effort, but they were more excited about wearing their new shoes to the gym, so they got to the gym. Tomorrow morning, the alarm clock's going to go off again, and they're going to be a little bit less excited than they were today. And then they're going to be like, well, that's two days down. And then on Tuesday, three days, the alarm clock's going to go off. And they are gonna curse at that alarm clock. They're gonna chuck it across the room and they're gonna give their shoes to the Goodwill and they're never going back to the gym. Because this week the gym's gonna be crowded, y'all. But don't worry, in seven days it'll be back to normal. Because people don't understand the simple truth is not that your resolution was bad, it was the amount of time you put in the resolution. You see, if you put more time at the gym, guess what? You will see the dividends. If you put more time into the marriage, you will see a dividends. And the marriage gets better. If you put more time in your parenting, you will see that your children develop. If you put more time into your business, into your job, you will see it flourish. If you put more time invested in yourself, you will see a return. You see, it's not the problem in the amount of resolutions. The problem is the amount of time we give the resolution. You want to get better physically? Spend time working on your physical body. You want to get fit spiritually? Spend more time in the Bible. This morning, I made a point to say, I'm going to read through the Bible. So guess what? Genesis 1, and I started reading. I made a point. The alarm clock went off at 4 a.m., and I didn't get it. And then I hit snooze, and at 4.30, I felt cold feet pushing me to get my alarm. And at that point, I was like, okay, I got to get up. Get up. And it's so important that I say, this is important because I want to be better. I can't maybe get to best, but I can have a better relationship with God than I had last year. I want a better relationship with those around me. It's so important that we say, what do I want better? I want more time with God. So I'm going to journal, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to seek God. It's so important that we pursue it. So how much time are you putting into things? Now I'm going to use a word that, that equates with time, but it's the word faithful. You see, when you look at spending time, the word you could actually use is the word faithful. Are you faithful to the gym? Oh, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Are you faithful to the things around you? Are you faithful to the job that God has called you to? I'll let you know this everything in your life gets better when you're faithful. Every marriage. Is better when both are faithful. Every parent stays faithful to those kids, doesn't walk out on those kids, you're gonna have a better family. Every job that you have, if you are faithful to show up on time and not leave early and not clock out and not disappear, you will do better if you are faithful. Here's what I love about being faithful I don't have to be the smartest to be faithful. I don't have to be the most talented to be faithful. I don't have to be the best looking to be faithful. I don't have to have the most skill, the most education. I don't need any of that to be faithful. And you know the one thing that God wants from us more than anything else? It's not our talent. It's not our skill. It's not our education. You know the thing that God wants most from you is faithfulness. The great Apostle Paul, he said, there's one thing I want to hear from God. One thing above all else. It's not that Apostle Paul, you're a great preacher. That's not what he wanted to hear from God. The Apostle Paul didn't say, I want to hear from God, that I am a great author. Even though he authored 13 books of our New Testament, wrote more books than anybody else. That's not what he wanted to hear. The Apostle Paul didn't want to hear from God that, Apostle Paul, you are a great missionary. That's not what he wanted to hear. The one thing the Apostle Paul wanted to hear from God is simply this. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. The greatest goal that you and I can have is to be faithful this morning. And as we go into this new year, that needs to be on our mind that we are going to be faithful That we're gonna be faithful to God. We're gonna be faithful to his word. We're gonna be faithful to prayer. We're gonna be faithful to his family. We're gonna be faithful to our jobs. We're gonna be faithful to our finances. We're gonna be faithful to our health because that is the strategy that'll change 2023 if you are faithful. But why is it the hardest thing for us to do? It's so hard for us to be faithful. It's so hard for us to stay with the diet, to stay with the budget, to stay with the reading plan. Mother Teresa, who was is well-known for operating a hospital out of Calcutta, had a senator from the United States, uh, Senator Hatfield, was visiting her. And he was going through and he said, don't you get overwhelmed by the stress of everything? Because there's way more people that need help than you can possibly help. Isn't it kind of soul-crushing? And I love Mother Teresa's reply. She said, sir... You misunderstand something. I didn't come here to be successful. I came here to be faithful. You see, the greatest thing you and I can do is to be faithful. And it's so over over neglected where we don't realize the power in faithfulness. And what Jesus is teaching here is about faithfulness. Each servant got the same number of minus. They each got one. Now what they did with it was up to their ability. And here's what's amazing. Their reward was the same. They all got cities. If you were willing to develop and take the mina and develop it and steward it, you were going to be blessed. You see, God is willing to bless and God's willing to do something. And here's what we need to realize. That the blessing of God has as much to do with me as it does with God. We often think that God's not blessing me. Well, have you ever stepped back and say, wait a minute, what does God put in my hand that I'm not stewarding? What am I doing? I look back at times in my life where I say, you know what, I want this from God, so what am I not stewarding? Because I want to become the person that God can trust me with that. I want to be able to steward my time, I want to be able to steward my relationships, I want to be able to steward my finances. If you want to be a person of financial wealth, learn how to steward your finances well. You want to be a person that is uh, a lot of influence, a person that makes big decisions, a person that does things, you need to learn how to manage yourself. You want to manage other people, but yet you can't even manage yourself. You can't can't take care of saying, this is my schedule. This is what I follow. This is where I get up. This is what I do. This is my routine. This is my habits. You see, the problem is that you and I, we, we don't realize that we've got to be people that say, I'm going to steward the things that God has entrusted to me. We often miss out on that. And we as Christians kind of think, well, I'm just waiting on the blessings of God and I'm just going to let him do it all for me. And God's waiting on you and he's saying, hey, I put something in your hand. Don't wrap it in a napkin and just wait on it. Do something with what I've given you. It's amazing that David just took a few little sheep and God said, hey, you're a good shepherd. Why don't you shepherd the nation of Israel? But he learned how to be a good leader when he could lead some sheep. My sister, for a long time, she really struggled, and they, they, they wanted to have kids. They could not have kids, could not have kids. Tried, 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 tried. They finally are expecting their first baby. But you know what she would do? She would babysit for all the other couples. She said, I really want to be a good mom. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to look for any couple who wants a date night, and I'm going to watch their kids so they can go have a date night so that God can trust me with a baby. That is so amazing. Into the future. That's saying, hey, I, I don't have what I want, but guess what? I'm going to sow into something else. I want to I give towards something. I want to see God do something. And it's the person saying, hey, I don't have everything I want, but I'm going to sow into this. I'm going to plant something. And I'm going to be faithful in this area so that I can see the blessing over there. You are missing out on blessings because you're not faithful. God is wanting you to be faithful to his word. He's wanting you to be faithful to him. But yet you can't even read one verse a day. One verse. You can't spend five minutes in prayer saying, God, I'm going to put you first. I want to have a better relationship with you. And then if you're going to have a better relationship with God, it starts with you and I saying, "Okay, what's it going to take, God? I want your blessing. But me just expecting it to come down and not sowing to see it, then I'm going to miss out on it. Because everything comes from God. You see, God can give it. The question is, will you grow it? God is not sitting back in heaven saying, oh, I don't know if I could bless them or her with this because I I don't have enough. No. God has plenty. He just wants to put it in capable hands. Ones that aren't going to waste it. Because we've seen enough people that they have not used the blessing that God gave them. Old Testament story being Saul. Saul, the Bible says, was a man who was head and shoulders above everybody else. He had the looked he had the talent, he had the skill. Everybody wanted to follow Saul. He was a good-looking guy. Man, he was a leader, came from the right tribe, the oldest. Everybody wanted to follow him. But God says, I've rejected him because of his heart. David was the most overlooked, neglected. His own dad had forgotten about him. And yet God says, that's the one I'm going to pick. Because he's the one that's out working in the field. He's taking what little he has, and I'm going to trust him with more. Right now, God is looking at our church trying to say, hey, will you steward the hotel room that I've given you well? Then I could trust you with a 600-seat auditorium. If we can't straighten the chairs, pick up the trash, take care of things, not dank the walls, not spill our coffee everywhere, and then be like, ah, who cares? If that's our spirit, don't expect God to give you more. If you can't take care of your apartment well, why would God give you a house? The principle transfers. If you can't take care of your girlfriend, why would God give you a wife? Why would God bless you with more if you're not taking care of what you've got right now? You you and I are so entitled and we don't really see it, do we? We don't step back and say, God, wait a minute. Is my entitlement keeping me from that thing you want to give me? God, there's so much more you want to do. And the problem is not with you. It's actually me. So let's get the mirror, hold it up to ourselves and say, hey, what about me needs to change this year so that God can do all the things that I want him to do so bad? And I step back and I say, okay, I need to work on my generosity. I want need to work on my spirit. I want to need to work on my kindness. I need to work on my leadership. God, I need to work on these skills. Why? Because I want to see your blessing in my life. So it's something with me. It's not with you, God. So what in my life needs to grow and develop so that I can see more accomplished? You see, the other fact is this. God wants us to manage it and not maintain it. But too often, we would rather just live in maintenance mode. I'm from the background where I've gone to a lot of small churches. For a season, I even traveled and I would speak out at other churches. I once went to a church, really nice, nice church. They had property. They had a parsonage, a couple acres, beautiful church. The pastor was away. And so I went there to go speak. And the man who was supposed to kind of coordinate things when I got there, he was like, all right, we're ready to start. I said, what do you mean are ready to start? It's just you and one other person. He said, yeah, this is church. This is our church. I said, okay, I mean, I'm going to preach. If it's two of you or 200, I'm going to preach. But in my mind, I remember this pastor saying, well, I'm just being faithful. I think that's an excuse for just maintaining. How many Christians, you're just in maintenance mode? You say, what does maintenance mode look like as a Christian? You show up when it's convenient on a Sunday. You put a couple bucks in when it's convenient. You say yes on Planning Center when it's convenient. You say, what's Planning Center? It's our way to communicate with those who are on a ministry team. You join a life group if you feel like it. You're in maintenance mode. You read the Word of God if it strikes you. You pray if you're going through a crisis. You're in maintenance mode. You're not managing nothing. A manager says, okay, hey, we made this much last month. We hired this many employees. We did this. We need to expand. That's what a manager, a manager's thinking about everything. A manager is saying, okay, I can I can increase revenue, I can increase profits. Hey, I need to train this person, and this person can take that role, and this person can be in training. And a manager's looking at how we can grow, how we can steward, how we can develop, how we can get better. Somebody that's in maintenance mode is like, I'm good. I'm just here to maintain. And we hide it behind, oh, I'm just being faithful. Are you kidding me? You're not being faithful. You're wasting an opportunity. You're wasting this moment. I talked to way too many couples. They were like, I don't know why she divorced me. And actually, it's up to, yeah, it's 70% of women are initiating divorce nowadays. It's not men. It's 70% of women. You know why? Because the men got into maintenance mode. They stopped doing one simple little thing, open the car door for their significant other. You say, that's a little thing. Oh, that's, that's a big thing. Treat her with respect. Treat her like a queen. And guess what? Things about her will start to show you that, hey, she loves and respects you. But it starts with if you can open the door for them. And we wonder why people are not being faithful in a relationship. We stop being faithful to others. And we got into maintenance mode. We stopped doing the little things like we used to do when we were dating. We now gotten to a point where we're just like, oh, I'll just kind of maintain. And that's what this guy did in verse number 20. He comes to the master, he says, oh, I just hit it, didn't want to lose it. That's a horrible idea. God's like, why, I don't need you to do that. Here's the thing you need to understand. God doesn't need you to maintain. He can maintain better on his own. He wouldn't give it to you if he wanted you to maintain it. That's what you need to understand. He gave it to you because he believes there's something about you that you can multiply it. And think about that for a moment. God gave you that marriage, God gave you those children, God gave you those finances, God gave you that business, God gave you that opportunity, God gave you that neighborhood, God gave you that position. God put you in this time, this place, because he believed there's something about you that you can take it and manage it and multiply it and do something for the kingdom of God. He didn't give it to you so you could sit on the can and get it and just be like, this is it, it's mine, I'm going to maintain it. It's not why he gave it to you. And yet, how many people are just in that maintenance mode? They don't understand that this life is not infinite, it's finite. So what am I going to do with this opportunity that I've been given? This is a great moment that I have. So don't just sit there, sit around and maintain. And I'll say this, your greatest failures are connected to your absence of faithfulness. Every failure is linked to a lack of faithfulness. You say, what do you mean? Let me go back to an Old Testament illustration. King David Greatest king in Israel has one glaring fault in his timeline. Her name is Bathsheba. You see, the Bible says in the time when kings were supposed to go to war, David stayed home. The absence of faithfulness led to his greatest failure. When you and I are like, ah, it's just a Sunday or two, it doesn't matter. It does matter. That's just a couple of days, I don't need the Bible. It doesn't matter. It does matter. There's an old saying, This book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. It is a big deal you and I are falling for the trick of the devil when we stop and we think, well, no, it's just one Sunday. I could just sit at home. It's real comfortable. I don't want to get up. You know, it's kind of cold, and I like my coffee, and I'm good. No, no. Get to the house of God. Get in your devotions. Get in your prayer time. Get at the gym. Work on your health. Work on your finances. Don't say, it's okay if I miss or I skip. No. Say, God has something for me, and I'm going to work at it. I'm going to work at it. I'm going to see this thing grow and multiply, and I'm going to see it Manage. I'm not just going to sit here and I maintain it. So stop treating faithfulness as optional. God expects you and I to be faithful. There's an expectation of it. It's not optional. It's an obligation. But you know why we're not faithful? Because we don't feel like being faithful. Feelings have now become the authority in our life, if we're honest. We've elevated feelings. Can I tell you how many people have told me, "I just don't feel like it." Why don't you go to the gym? I just didn't feel like it. Why don't you stay with your diet? I didn't feel like it. Why don't you read your Bible? I didn't feel like it. Why don't you go and witness to that person and tell them about Jesus? I didn't feel like it. Hey, why don't you go to church? I didn't feel like it. Hey, why don't you come to the Kingdom Builders Banquet? I didn't feel like it. Hey, why don't you tithe? I didn't feel like it. Hey, why why don't you go to this activity? I didn't feel like. Why don't you join a life group? I didn't feel like it. Your feelings are your God and you worship at the altar of feelings. Our whole society is all about our feelings. I went through the San Jose airport this past week and I looked over and I saw all the beautiful Christmas decorations. How many have been to the San Jose airport? Raise your hand. Yeah, you've seen it. This beautiful Christmas tree at baggage claim down by Southwest and Delta. Next to the Christmas tree, there's a menorah. You know what a menorah is? It's for the Jewish holiday. It's eight days. A little sign in front of the menorah that said, we apologize, this will be the last time you'll see this menorah, it was offensive to people, so this will be the last year we show the menorah at Christmas. I said, are you kidding me? Who gets offended at a menorah? But apparently, somebody at the airport got offended, and so now they put a little sign that said, we apologize, and a little sign, you won't see it next year. Are you kidding me? Feelings are now our God, our idol, small G-O-D. Your feelings are going to destroy you because you know what my feelings tell me? that I just want to eat Ben and Jerry's fish food all day. That's all I want to eat. And I want to stay up and just watch TV, never go to the gym, never hang out with my kids, never be invested in my relationship, never read my word, never pray, never go to church. That's what my feelings tell me 24-7. And if my feelings are telling me that, I can just imagine what they're telling you that. My feelings did not want to get up at 4 a.m. this morning. My feelings didn't feel like coming to church. You're going to laugh, but on Christmas Eve, I fell down my stairs and landed on my rib because I was taking some ribs that we had for dinner down to my dog, and I had a plate of the bones, and then I was walking downstairs, and then I slipped because my dog ran, tripped my leg, and I landed on my ribs. But then my family and Jane and all of them were upstairs, and they just heard this, like, crash and then down the stairs. Because it was like rib, shoulder, head, all the way down. Rib, shoulder, head. It just kept falling. I couldn't stop myself. And then I'm landing there, and I'm at the bottom of the stairs, and there's like these rib bones all over me. And then then I'm like waiting there for help, and nobody's coming. I was like, help. And then my sweet family, my loving sweet family, when they look around the corner, do you know what they had to comfort me in my time of need? cameras. And they were like, oh, were you okay? They were ready to laugh. They were ready to like, "Ah, oh, it was funny. My feelings this morning were like, oh man, you're in pain. Don't. Just don't. Can I tell you, your feelings will keep you out of the close relationship with God that you're supposed to have? It'll keep you out of close relationship with the people in your life you're supposed to have. Your feelings are not your friends. Your feelings will destroy you. I can't tell you how many people are following their feelings instead of following faithfulness. Being faithful doesn't feel good right away. You see, you will feel a good feeling later. When you start going to the gym, you're like, man, I just feel better. When you start living on a budget, you're like, I don't have the stress at the end of the month. Like, how am I going to pay for everything? When you're walking close with God and you're not letting sin pile up, you're like, wow, I don't have all the guilt and shame. I just live better. When you're in community and in Christian groups that help you keep accountable and keep you doing right, you're like, man, I feel stronger. There's strength in this community. But being faithful doesn't happen right away. You see, anyone can be faithful when it feels good. When it's easy, anybody can be faithful. But you and I are not called to that. You know, we have to be the type of people that say, I'm going to be faithful regardless. But you say, man, it's just a little thing. I I love this verse. In verse number 17, it says, Well done, good servant, because you were very faithful. You were faithful in a very little. Have authority over ten cities. It's amazing that God called that little thing he did very little. So in God's perspective, this was a little thing, but was God's reward little? Yes or no? I think ten cities is quite a good reward. So God gave way more because he was faithful. So God is saying, if you will be faithful, I have a reward that will blow your socks off. I have a reward for you. If you will be faithful, I'm I wrote this down. If you want to write it down, it may help you. Faithfulness in little things is the big thing. Faithfulness in little things is the big thing. You want a better relationship with God? It could be that one verse a day could be that thing. If you're not reading your Bible. It could be five minutes of prayer. It could be a once a week date night with your spouse. could be the thing. It could be play dates with your children. That could be a thing. It could be joining a ministry team. It could be saying, man, God's blessed me and how can I give to kingdom causes? It could be that you saying, hey, who can I mentor? Who can I disciple? Who can I bless? What can I do to help others around me? It could be the smallest little thing. It could be, hey, I'm going to go to the gym 50 times this year. That's once a week. But that's better than never going. It could be that, hey, I'm going to cut out sugary sweets no more soda, no more fast food. It could be the smallest little thing. But you know it's the smallest things that give us the biggest results? You see, it's faithfulness in the small things that no one sees that results in the big things that everyone wants. I'll say it again. It's faithfulness in the small things that no one sees that brings the results that everyone else wants. I'm excited because this year, I'm coming up on 14 years of marriage. We're looking at a lot of couples our, our age that they didn't make it. And I was like, man, it's only 14 years, isn't it? And we literally looked at each other. And we're like, where did the time go? You know, we're, we're coming up on 16 years of ministry, full-time ministry. And I'm like, man, 16 years. I just started. I remember when I just started at Liberty and I just met Maggie and I don't know why she put up with me. We were just a small little group in a little classroom. Dave Bruchelle's classroom. But it's that small little thing. If you could just be faithful in these little things, then God says, oh man, I can give you so much more. But yet you and I aren't willing to pay the price where nobody's looking because today it's like it has to be filmed. And if it's not on Instagram, it didn't actually happen. We know you ate the food. You don't have to take a picture of it. We know you like coffee. You don't have to film it. We know you like to travel. You like to hike. You like to decorate. I should be nice. Some of you are all over social media. I need to be kinder. But when you and I step back and say, God, I want to see these big things happen. How does it How does it happen? Uh, famous coach John Wooden for the UCLA Bruins. He had 10 championships under his belt. Seven were consecutive. The great coach John Wooden had several famous players. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was probably his most famous player, but the first thing he would do for these Division I basketball scholarship athletes, when they would show up to play for him, the first thing he would do You'd say, was it passing? Was it dribbles? Was it plays? Was it uh, like certain drills that he would do? Is it how to shoot the basketball? No. He'd have all the players sit down and he would teach them how to put on their socks the correct way. And then he would show them how to lace up their shoes. He said, we're starting with the very smallest basic things because it's all about your feet. You know, you and I want these off-the-chart marriages. We want these jobs. We want these ministries. We want to see whatever your thing is you want to see just take off. It's connected to a small little step. And a lot of times, we won't take that small step that leads to that big difference. And then the people that you see in your life that you are like, wow, how did they get there? They took that step that you're afraid to. They stopped living in maintenance mode and they went to management mode. And then they multiplied it. And this year, we will never see the year that God wants us to have unless we say, I'm going to be faithful this year. So as we close, I'm going to give you three things to be faithful. If you would take and write these down and you say, hey, these are things that I'm going to work on this year. First of all, is to live a life of love. Would you live a life of love? Secondly, would you have a spiritual focus this year? And thirdly, would you exercise self-control? If you would say, hey, these are my goals for this year. What does that look like? And in everybody's context, that's going to look a little bit different. You write down, hey, what would self-control look like? What would a spiritual focus look like in your life? Because I believe these three, if you put them together, you're going to see some incredible results in your life. Because I believe God wants something great from our church. But it's going to start in us not doing the big things, but us doing the small things. Pastor Mark Batterson says it like this. If you will do the small things like they're big things, then God will do the big things like they're small things. So let's you and I say, God, okay, I'm going to do these little things. Jesus, who best demonstrated, what did he do at the uh, last supper? He pushed away and he wrapped an apron around. He began to wash the disciples' feet. He was willing to do the little things. Why is it that you and I struggle to do the little things? Why is it that you and I, we just... don't think about just serving you and i just saw dave hoagie put a perfect example of just i'm going to serve and do a little thing that's it that's it you see a need and you say i could do that you and i are stepping back we're like well god wants me to do these big things sometimes the most simple act of kindness is the first step to getting you out of yourself it's you seeing a person in a wheelchair struggling to get through a door and you're like ah let me drop everything and open that door Or you see a person and God just puts it in your heart to do something for him. You just do it for him. That could be the little step this year. Stop thinking big and start thinking small and one step after another step after another step and you will see the gains that you want to see. You will see God work in those incredible ways. So, as we close, some of you were alive, some of you weren't. I was just born. It was during Ronald Reagan's presidency. There was the bombing in Lebanon. The Marine barracks made national news. Reagan and the world was just devastated by it, this attack. Unprovoked, a truck drives into a barrack of Marines who were just sleeping. And so one of Ronald Reagan's staff was going to go visit the wounded. And he wanted to encourage them and cheer them up. And he came to one, Jeffrey Nashton, who was severely uh, wounded they weren't sure if he was gonna make it because the bomb blast was directly by his bed. So he was ripped to pieces by shrapnel. And here he comes over to the side of Jeffrey Nashton's bed and he's thinking, what am I gonna to say to this guy? How am I gonna encourage this person who's possibly going about to give his life for his country? Jeffrey Nashton, with one eye swollen shut, the other eye barely open, and it began to motion because he had the ventilator tube down his throat to help him breathe, and he started to motion for pen and paper. Because as the person there in charge was waiting to check on his soldiers, and he motioned, and he wrote down two words that every Marine knows so well: "Semper Fi." Simplify is Latin for always faithful. It's what every Marine's motto is. I think for the fact that the Marines got it before the church got it is a sad indictment of the church. Because the church is not known for faithfulness. Divorce is just as high in the church as it's outside the church. Lust, greed, gluttony, lying, Stealing, all of it. We have just as many problems as people that don't go to church. And part of it for a season is okay when we're working through it. We come to church, there's grace, there's mercy, there's acceptance, but there's not approval. We can accept you, we don't approve the sin. And if you see somebody here that's at the church and you see me praying with them, my arm around them, it's not me approving a sin. It's me saying, no, no, I accept them, but I don't condone what they're doing, but they need to have a place that they can come. But you and I need to be delivered from those sins. Jesus didn't die on a cross so that you can continue in sin. The Apostle Paul said, Should we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. You and I need to live a life that's faithful so that we can hear those two great words good and faithful. That's the highest commendation. The highest commendation is not from your boss or from some significant other. The highest commendation comes from God above. And he's looking for a faithful bride, a faithful church. And we have an opportunity, church, to be faithful. And as we go into this next year, we as a community, it's not a Pastor Micaiah thing. This is as a church we need to be faithful. As a church we need to be faithful to reach our community. Why would God give us more if we won't reach who's here? You're wanting more, and God's like, I I haven't even seen you develop what you have. Use what you have, then you can have more. I'm sure every parent in the room does this, how we parent. Our kids will see some delicious food. I'll say, hey, you can have as much as you want, but start with a little on your plate because I don't want to waste food. You can have as much as you want, but until you eat what's on your plate, don't get any more because sometimes our eyes are bigger than our stomachs. I think God up in heaven is looking at us and saying, hey, I have plenty more where that came from. But you need to start using what you've got. Develop what you have, what I've put there in that room. When you develop that, I'll, I'll give you more. I'd gladly give you more, but I don't want you to waste it. Because there's somebody else that God wants to give it to. So if we want to see God do some radical things, don't look, oh, what's the church doing? No, no, what are you doing? Stop saying, what is the church? How about you? Make it personal. Don't play those games right now. That's games from the devil. That game's from the devil. What are you going to do? Where are you going to step up? Where are you going to say, hey, God, what are you calling me to do? Because all of us can spend more time in this book. All of us can spend more time at church. I asked the first service, aside from push-ups and sit-ups, could you do something 52 times in a row? I think we all could. You and I could eat a spoonful of ice cream 52 times in a row if we had to. I think we could do it. I think we could swipe our credit card 52 times in a row if we had to. I think you could be in God's house 52 times if you had to. You say, Oh, no, but I got vacation. I got travel. Yeah, but we're online. We're on podcast. There's no excuse not to have God's word in your heart. There's no excuse not to get in the Bible. I pack my Bible on vacation. Sitting on the airplane, I gotta read my word. It's amazing how people around you take notice when you got a Bible open on your lap on an airplane. It's a powerful testimony. It's amazing the conversations you can have. When you say, hey, I'm just being faithful, I didn't have a sign, like I saw one person, y'all are going to hell. You've seen those signs downtown? The best thing I could do is just have a Bible open, and people are like, oh, you're a Christian? Yeah. Oh, man, can you pray for me? Yeah. Best thing. Faithful. Can we all stand? I've I've kept you over. You all had extra sleep this morning. That's why you're at the later service anyway. Some of you usually come to the first service. I see you sneaking in here. No judgment. Glad you're at church. But I'm going to invite the worship team to sing and play. In the first service, we opened up this altar. And as we open up the altar, maybe you need to pray and just say, God, help me with faithfulness. It's an overlooked thing where you just say, I-, I need to be faithful. I'll be at the side if you want to pray with somebody, but I'm going to invite you to slip out as the worship team leads us in this last song. Thank you again for spending time with us today. And a special thanks to those who give generously to South Ridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again and we'll catch you on the next one.